Our gospel passage this morning is taken from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 1 through verse 12. I invite us now to hear these words of the good news. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning and welcome to worship here at Ashland Place United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you in this virtual time and virtual space. And I hope and we hope and pray that you all have made it safe and well through the storms. And if you have any um, concerns or issues or problems that the church might help with, I hope you will contact the church office and let us know so we can reach out and be in service and present with you. Um, this is a special day in the life of the church. This is a, a, a big day. It's a holy feast day. We've changed the colors of the pyramids. We are now white instead of green. We are um, celebrating a, a, a holy day um, that has been part of the church for centuries. Um, going back to the early centuries of the church, um, All Saints has been a, a feast day or a holy day. We, it's been referenced as far back as in 373 by St. Ephraim of Cyrus. And then again, um, one of my favorite uh, uh, fathers was, is John, John Chrysostom, who also referenced uh, All Saints Day in the year 407. And he um, referenced it as being a set day on the church calendar. So going back to 407, we have a fixed day in, in the life of the church where we remember those um, souls, those people who, who are fathers of the faith for us, fathers and mothers who, who have demonstrated how to live life well and faithfully and whose shoulders we are able to stand upon and, and see the world as we were intended to see it faithfully through divine eyes and to hear with divine ears. This is what's so important about this day. And then as we, as the church continued, we ended up landing on November the 1st as the set day in, in the year 747 when Gregory III, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, dedicated a, a chapel as part of St. Peter's Basilica. And that became the set day for All Saints Day. So that's where we are, November the 1st. 
um, of 2020, we are celebrating all saints. And so as we think about the saints that have been in our midst or are in our midst, um, those people who demonstrate a faithful life, who have shared their faith and the tradition and passed their faith from generation to generation, that's what we are commemorating. These are who we commemorate and who we celebrate, whether they are here with us or whether they have passed on from glory to glory. We have five candles on our altar table today, and these are uh, people that we are from our, our congregation. These are the, the saints that we are remembering and um, celebrating their life um, today. There are other candles on our altar today, and those small candles represent those people in our lives who may not have been members of this church or part of this congregation, but they are very important in our personal life, our faithful life, and we want to find ways to commemorate and to represent these souls. So as you look at our altar table this morning, as you experience this worship, that's what's before us. These are the lives and the memories and the uh, traditions, the stories and the histories that live with us. We also see in this altarscape, again, I, I use that term this week, altarscape. We've set up a new altarscape here, and it's um, coming off of the altar. We have these two, looks like streams. Hopefully it looks like streams of water where we have two rivers that will come together called a confluence, and then they flow as one river. There's a, a place in St. Mark's, Florida, a little slice of heaven that I have found in my childhood and, and have enjoyed as an adult. And the few occasions I get to go back to the confluence of the St. Mark's and the Wakulla Rivers. It's this small little outcropping of limestone and dirt and, and that wide St. Augustine grass. It just kind of juts out into this confluence where this, these two rivers come together. The St. Mark's River uh, further east and the and, and the Wakulla River coming in from the northwest, and they just intersect right here. And this little, this little outcropping gives a, a wonderful vista of, this, of these two uh, beautiful and wonderful rivers that just come together at this point in time. And they continue to go. They flow for seven more miles um, out uh, to the, the, the Apalachee Bay as part of the Gulf of Mexico. And so we have these two rivers, they, they intersect and they can continue as the St. Mark's Channel for seven miles um, and they just spill out into the, into the Gulf of Mexico. And as I, I think about all the things that happen and, and, and how important that little outcropping is for me, a place where I can go and, and stand or you know, sit on a limb or lean on a tree and just watch these two peaceful, almost lazy rivers come together. I can think about where the Wakulla River is formed and the Wakulla Springs and it flows for several miles winding through almost jungle-like settings and, and wide, clear, clear water, sandy and rocky bottoms of, of that river. It's just, it has its own personality. It has its own setting, its own experience, its own, well, it's, it's, it's its own thing. And then the other river, the St. Mark's River, flows for many miles, winding. It's not as wide. The river the bottom is not as sandy or, or rocky. It's, it's more dark. And, but it's a beautiful river with these 
incredible oak trees that hang over and give it shade and and then there's uh, palm trees and, and wide blade grasses and it's just an incredible experience to think of all that this river goes through to reach this point. It flows well north or comes from the far north and flows down and eventually in a place called Natural Bridge it goes underground. The river actually flows back underground and comes back up just a a hundred yards later and as it comes up out of the ground that there it meets a spring a very powerful spring and it boils over with and it just pushes the water further down and as you as we as you take that river uh, downstream you it, it winds and twists for for miles and it goes around a small island and you come to a uh, a little town called Newport and you pass by Newport and this old shipbuilding uh, uh, shipbuilding business which has been closed for decades and you pass by that and you find your way to St. Mark's, a sleepy little village and you pass this, this, the fishing boats and you you pass the yachts and the sailboats and you pass the, the, old, the old tugboat dock where they would unload and load petrol and fuel oil and then you find just not even a half a mile, you come to this confluence. And these two rivers just flow on out to sea. These, this experience, this image of these two rivers flowing together gives me a wonderful, powerful image of All Saints Day, this wonderful feast day, where I can, it's just one way to kind of understand and to see a faithful life, a faithful life that, that lives as best it can through, through this temporal world. And we merge in with the eternal. And it continues. And so I can just imagine these two rivers, one temporal and, 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 and one eternal, one material, one spirit, one... One divine and one human flowing together. And I can stand on this outcropping of limestone and grass and just imagine the faithful lives now sharing more fully with the divine. These faithful lives have, have had their own river. They've had their own experience winding and twisting through life, overcoming trials and tribulations and persecutions and, and illnesses and all kinds of complications and challenges. And now they are now more and more in union with the divine river, God. Finding more deeper, clearer revelations of who God is and the relationship we share with Him, even as we flow our own river. And so I just have this image, and I hope you can hold on to this uh, idea of being able, having a vantage point, this vista, to see how the, the saints become together and, 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 and intersect in this incredible and wonderful way, a powerful way that now allows them to more fully engage in the divine, more fully revealed in, in the kingdom of heaven. As it continues, the rivers don't stop, they continue. 
out to sea. That's one way to kind of view and image All Saints Day. You know, as we, as we hold this image in our minds and we go back, we have these incredible passages before us today. And as we continue to think about this, this vantage point of these two rivers and their confluence, I invite us to kind of reflect on these, on these passages. As, as we read Psalms 34, the psalmist is expressing his confidence in the Lord, saving and redeeming God's people and their lives. For those who fear the Lord, those who believe and place their trust and faith in the Lord will experience the Lord's grace. And the Lord's grace will redeem. So we as followers of Christ share in this promise and we can have the same confidence. The confidence of the saints who have gone before us. In 1 John, that Kristen read, we hear John speaking of the future and the hope that we have as children of God. We have this hope in God who will purify ourselves just as God is pure. What this may mean for us is that God's children is to be a, a part of God's children. That God's family is to be like the Father. Our life with the Father will reveal the mystery of who God is. And as we have witnessed to the, the lives of the saints who have been parts of our lives, as they reveal more of their faith, as we have experienced their faith with them, we find ourselves opening up to a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. That's what it means to interact and have a relationship with God and with the saints who have gone before us. And then in Matthew 5, that we just read, we hear the Beatitudes within the Sermon on the Mount. We have Jesus walking up this this hilltop, this mountainside, and he sits down and his disciples gather around him and he begins to teach. And Jesus is laying out what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means and what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. The point that Jesus is making is that this life is, is just different. It's different from what the world would have us believe about life, what the world would have us believe about being cursed or being blessed. A life in the kingdom of God is, is a life that's being transformed. So when he talks about being blessed, it looks different from how the world will see blessings. The world doesn't see blessings as being poor or being hungry or being grieved and mourning. But Jesus says that these people these who mourn, these who hunger for righteousness, these who hurt are blessed. Upsetting the, the culture of the day, upsetting our culture. He goes on to say that it's the peacemakers who will share. Those who seek righteousness, they will share in this kingdom. So as we read these Beatitudes, we can read them not so much as instruction, but as a description of who's included in the kingdom. And it does away with a lot of our exclusions. Because God's kingdom is so big and blesses so many in so many ways 
that we will struggle. We will struggle to find it completely impossible to lay our systems of blessings and curses, our systems of what is right and wrong, our systems of ethics on top of the kingdom's system. Because God's kingdom turns it all upside down. And so that's what Jesus is kind of pointing out, laying out that, that this is so different. That life in the kingdom, it just looks different. It sounds different. It feels different. And it's all wonderful and powerful. And we have these saints who have gone before us who allow us to stand on their shoulders to see what this life looks like, this transformative life looks like, and how it can be passed and shared from generation to generation. As the saints who have gone before us invite us to become saints ourselves and to share and to pass along from generation to generation what we believe and what we have received in our faith. Faith in God, who will redeem, who does redeem, who will save and does save. This is a powerful image for us. But as we think about uh, how we live this life in this, in this river, and how we are given glimpses of the other river, and these intersections along the way, and these confluences along the way, Jesus has something else to say. If we read further in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 22, we will find how Jesus understands God. How Jesus understands this life and how Jesus understands life after this life. How Jesus understands these two rivers flowing together and what happens after the confluence. What does it mean to have a God of all time, of all generations? In Matthew 22, Jesus is being questioned. He's being challenged by different groups of people. And one of the groups that wants to challenge him are the Sadducees. These are a, a political group, a religious political group, and they are hard and fast to the, to the law of Moses. They are uh, powerful leaders in Jerusalem and in the, in the temple sect. They are, they are a powerful group. And they come to challenge Jesus. The Pharisees are there and they're challenging Jesus. And the Herodians are there who, are, who enjoy the, the benefits of having Roman occupation and, and having the, uh, the, the privileges of a Roman empire. And so all these groups are pressing in on Jesus to challenge him, to find some way to trick him, to expose him for the charlatan that they believe him to be. And so here we have in chapter 22, beginning in verse 23... This challenge. The same day, some Sadducees came to him, saying, There is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a, if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same, so also the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? 
for all of them had married her. Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is God not of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astounded at his teaching. He goes on, the gospel writer, to relay the story of the Pharisees as they also wanted to challenge him about the greatest commandment. In this passage, the Sadducees present this hypothetical argument where a woman marries seven brothers and the seven brothers die and according to the law this was was to occur in just such a way and then after the seven brothers have passed away and then the woman also dies whose wife will she be in life after life the Sadducees are known for drafting these incredible hypothetical impossible situations to prove a point a point they didn't believe in. And in this case, it was about the resurrection. But Jesus articulates something quite incredible. That life after death, life after life, is going to be different. There are different relationships. We will relate to one another differently. We will relate to the heavenly bodies differently. We will relate to God differently. And marriage will not be as we know it here and now, in this stream, in this river. And the second thing he does is he argues that they don't understand the God of the resurrection. They don't understand who God himself declares God to be. And that is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. When God offers this description of himself at the burning bush before Moses, he declares that he is a God of the present generation. He is the God of all generations. And when Jesus pulls this argument forward, he maintains that present tense that God is still the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac. Because God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so we have this two-river scenario coming together, and at the confluence, life does not end. And God does not end. God is still the God of Abraham, still the God of Isaac, and still the God of Jacob. God is the God of the living. And for thousands of years later, after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob have long since passed away, God is still their God. And Jesus declares it so. This is our God. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. As we stand on this outcropping at the confluence of rivers and we celebrate All Saints Day, what we're really celebrating is our faith that affirms and confirms and assures us that there is life after life and God is with us in this life and in the next. God is still our God in all generations and for that we give thanks. And that is the faith that we proclaim and we affirm through the affirmation of faith in the Apostles' Creed. I invite us to affirm our faith in the God of all generations. <laughs>